lostness of protesters. Yeah. The, those that are fighting against our government. Yeah. They don't really know yeah. the emptiness of their heart. Yeah. And really the thing we've been praying about is, um, I heard somebody say recently, first of all, hello Facebook Live, welcome to our time together this morning, Epicenter Church. My name is Pastor Steve Abbott, and uh, we're just jumping right in. We, we're having some discussion, and uh, we've been talking and singing about the presence of God, God the Father, and how He uh, He has gone before us and promises peace. We actually were singing that this morning. And we're going to talk about it a little bit today, but, uh, you know, God, none of this craziness in our world is catching God by surprise. Yeah. And uh, I think it would, <laughs> I'm reading an old book, uh, and it's using old old English, and there's a phrase that we don't hear too much anymore, it's behoove, <laughs> because, it, and then also me thinks, I don't know, <laughs> me thinks, that's really old school, like, and so... Uh, here's what I'm going to say in my, out of the context of the book I'm reading. Methinks it would behoove us to remember that God is in control. That uh, no matter what he, well, no matter what is going on, just remember he's so many steps out in front of that thing. And yes, he wants us to pray and intercede and seek him because uh, it's super important and that's part of the equation. But also to remember who he is. And uh, we're in John 14 still today. I'm hoping we could maybe get all the way through it. We'll see how that goes. Cross your fingers. But uh, Jesus is in this upper room. And again, we've talked about so many times how he, uh, he is teaching and, and explaining some things to the disciples that is literally blowing their mind. He's, he's, uh, he's instituting the reunion, if you will, of himself with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's been talking about, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then just just previously, he introduces Holy Spirit in verse 15 and 16 and following. And then this morning, uh, we're not going to go backwards. We're going to go forward here a little bit. But within this narrative that Jesus is preaching and teaching, he... he uh, he keeps going back to a couple of themes. One of them is the Father, which we talked about before, how uh, like 90 plus times up to this point after today, he uses the word Father in relationship to himself and Father in Heaven. And again, remember, the Jewish at this time, the people at this time, uh, this is actually a good point for us that we're, we were singing, there's a, an old hymn that says, and then a new hymn called Cornerstone, and one of the lines is, my anchor holds within the veil. And we had talked about how this veil in those days really separated people from the very presence of God. When Jesus dies on the cross, of course, that veil, this huge wall, if you will, between man and God is, is ripped and broken and torn asunder. So that hasn't actually happened yet in the story, but Jesus is definitely bringing them up to the place where he's going to die and rise again just within a matter of days here. And so the disciples are on a journey that I think reflects many of our journeys, doesn't it? How many of you know everything there is to know about God? <laughs> right? Silly question. But how many of us know that on this journey there's, there's a 
there's an opportunity for us to know more about God today than I did yesterday. There's an When we worship, there's an opportunity for me to go into a deeper place of intimacy than I have as of last Sunday or last time we were together, right? So he says, my anchor holds within the veil. There's a there is a veil. There's a there's a there's a place in God that's kind of beyond me, if you will. But because Jesus is going to tear that veil, we get to move into these places and, and walk with Him. And so He's taken the disciples on this journey, where He's blowing their mind because the idea of God the Father and a person in Jesus being the same is just it's crazy talk. And then He says, not only that, but I'm going to introduce you to the Holy Spirit. The Father's going to introduce you to the Holy Spirit. He's going to be a friend just like me, etc. He's going to reveal. And we went into all of that in previous weeks. And the disciples, because they're on this journey, and much like us, uh, <laughs> have you ever asked God a silly question? Yeah, why sometimes is a silly question. Isn't it? But, like, even beyond that, like, I, uh, when I was younger and a single guy, you know, I was, single guys want to get married, especially all my friends were getting married and I wasn't married and I'm like, God, you know, what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And I remember there was different times in my life where I thought I knew what my future and my future bride and everything should be. And so I was telling God about it, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> informing him of this, this, and this. And uh, it's funny, as you're in different times of life, we will ask a question of God or we'll tell God something. And then later on in life, do you ever look back and go, okay, that was so immature. That was so silly and childish, right? But, you know, I remember that there's an old Garth Brooks song, you know, Garth Brooks, the country guy. And uh, he talks about this girl that he was, I forget the song, and, but the story is in the song, he's like, there was a girl in high school that I thought was the one and she was it and blah, blah, blah. And then I think he says something like, I think her name was Mary. <laughs> you know, like later on in life, it's just like, I don't even remember her name. But again, at the time, she was my world. She was everything, you know. And I feel like sometimes with God, isn't it that way? Like what we think is so important at one season of life, later on, we look back and go, oh, wow. I guess that wasn't really what the big deal was. And you were actually using that to draw me closer and bring me along on my journey. And so I find that's true going on with the disciples. So in verse 22, we'll pick up the story here. Jesus says in uh, 14, John 14, 22, and uh, John 14, 22, he says, he says, um, hang on one second, just make sure we got technology, Facebook Live, I think you're there and everything's good. Um, John 14, 22, another one of the disciples chimes up and says this. He says, he says, then one of the disciples named Judas, not Judas Iscariot, apparently there's two of these guys in the 12, Lord, why is it you will only reveal your identity to us and not to everyone? Now, as we've gone through this, who has chimed up? We've had Thomas, we've had Peter, we've had uh, Philip, and now, and now Judas. And uh, they're all asking I would say this. They're all asking very earthy questions, very human questions, you know? Now, I, I, I was looking at this, and I'm thinking, why is he asking that question, you know? 
But I began to get a revelation a little bit in this. And sometimes, like, it seems like Judas here is asking this question about why you're revealing to us and not to everyone, and what is this? I think he really doesn't understand what Jesus is saying, number one, completely, because he says, I'm going to reveal myself to you and all this. But secondly, don't, don't we really look through our human eyes when we, even in spiritual things, we tend to look through our human eyes, don't we? And we tend to look at things through what I can see and touch and feel. And so it was hard for Thomas, I'm sorry, for Judas here to, to think, how can you reveal to us, but it not be seen by everybody? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it, that was a hard jump for him. He couldn't, you know, and it wasn't, see, we understand Jesus revealing himself to us is very internal. It's very personal. You know, it's kind of an inside job, if you will. But I think Judas wasn't quite getting that. He's like, okay, you're going to reveal physically for us, but how can other people not see it? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think maybe this was the journey he was on. And we're not sure exactly, but again, Jesus doesn't reprimand or doesn't do anything. Uh, he he kind of moves on. And he goes into verse 23 and he says, loving me empowers you to obey my word. Which seems like an odd response to the question, doesn't it? Like, is Jesus answering his question, really, the way Judas probably wants it to be answered? No. So again, the this is a springboard into our own lives, right? <laughs> How many of you ever ask God a question and he just completely doesn't answer it? Like, goes another direction. Or, in most cases, when I ask silly questions of God, which I think it's good to ask God questions, because I think even the silly ones have a purpose. And sometimes he answers us in certain ways, and other times I think he uses that question, if you will, that even the silliness or the immaturity of it, to bring us along. And so he, in a sense, we're going to see he does answer his question. He just doesn't do it in the way that Judas perhaps wants him to do it, which, again, is indicative of much of God. Just try asking God a why question and see what happens. All right? Go ahead. Like, this week... Ask him all the why questions. Again, about 90-some percent sure you're not going to get the answer you want. Because why questions aren't really what he wants us to focus on. You know what he would much rather ask? He would much rather ask, have us ask the what and the how. Okay? Okay, so here's my situation. Why is this happening? Crickets, crickets. <laughs> But then you turn your question, you go, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And all of a sudden, you'll start getting a flood of things coming in your mind. Lord, how would you have me respond to this person who's being mean to me? How would you have me respond to this person or thing that's going on that I don't understand at all? Yeah, it's interesting. Many people ask God about the COVID situation going on right now, right? And or the election, and all what? You know, God, why is this happening? What? But instead, we start asking the what and the how, all of a sudden, God will start giving us answers to those questions. And that's just how he is. So Judas asks a question, not really getting the answer he wants, but Jesus says, listen, loving me empowers you to obey my word. Now, does this look familiar to anybody? Have we seen this before? This is actually the third time in this same discourse that Jesus said something about obeying him. Right? And it's actually going to be down the road more. So again, everybody just go, you know, 
TikTok, pay attention. I heard somebody, I read something this week, the guy said, when God says something, we should believe it. When God repeats himself, we should sit up and pay attention. <laughs> like it should, it should do something more in us. So this is the third time. In verse 15, chapter 14, 15, God, uh, Jesus says, Loving me empowers you to obey my commands. Then you jump over to verse 21. He says, Those who truly love me are those who obey my commands. And now, verse 23, he says it again. Loving me empowers you to obey my word. Then he goes on and says, And my Father, there it is again, number 93 or whatever <laughs> in the book of John, And my Father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make our, you our dwelling place. Now, I love the way God's putting this service together for us because we had a question about what does it mean, my anchor holds within the veil? What does that mean? So we went to Hebrews, and we <laughs> checked out if Hebrews chapter 6, 19 through 20. So Hebrews 6, 19 through 20, if you want to go there and look, if you're taking notes, write this down. But it talks about that very thing, about how Jesus is now our high priest, and he's torn the veil, and our souls have access, if you will, to that intimacy. Right? And so... Again, though, the disciples are sitting here and they have no concept of this. All they have is God the Father, the Holy El Shaddai and the Mighty God, who His very presence is over that veil. He's on the Holy of Holies. He's on that place where we can't get to. The disciples could not get there. They couldn't even get their foot hardly in the temple. These were some rough dudes. You know what I mean? They were only able to go in, I guess, only able to go in a couple of levels, if you will, into the temple. Certainly not where the priests were, and certainly not at the Holy of Holies that was separated by this veil. So when Jesus turns to them and says, Loving me empowers you to obey my word. And then the next words out of his mouth are, If you do that, my Father will love you so deeply that we will come to you. Are you ready for the next one here? And make you... Our dwelling place. <laughs> like that is, to us, we go, I, that just seems like good words. It's not, to them, I'm telling you, it was completely revolutionary. Because of this one thing. Up to this point in human history, the temple was where God dwelt. He only dwelt in that holy of holies, beyond the veil. He, there was nobody that had access. The best people could do was bring a sacrifice, kill it, and burn it. That was the best they could do to really to get to God. And then obey and all this sort of stuff. But now he says, I mean, can you imagine you sitting in a room and go, uh, listen, if you love me and obey my commands, and if we're, you know, simpatico, <laughs> if we're together on this, he goes, then the Father, that Almighty Father God, is going to move from beyond the veil to making you our dwelling place. It's, it's earth-shattering, really. I can imagine the disciples sitting there. Has anybody ever told you something and you get that dumbfounded look on your face? You know, like I almost feel like there would be 11 jaws kind of going, you know, like dropping down and Jesus walking by and going, okay, boy, just <laughs> this is the way it's going to be, right? Says, and so it, it kind of is an answer to, to Judas's question in verse 22, isn't it? Jesus is like, why won't you reveal yourself to everybody? He goes, listen, 
don't even worry about that because I'm going to come to you boys in such a way that is going to blow you away and eventually it'll blow the world away. He says, then the verse, uh, well, actually, let, let's move on. Uh, let's not move on. Uh, the love and obedience thing is really tied together, isn't it? We talked last week about the definition of religion at the very core is to try to obey God without love. So much of religion is based on performance and doing the right things, right? Jumping through the hoops. But here's this thing I, I, uh, I really was thinking about this week. Some people have, like, they focus on the love so much <clears throat> that they just don't end up ever obeying. They just kind of loosey-goosey, you know, lovey-dovey kind of thing, right? And then there's other people, I think there's more people, but the other people just try to obey him and do the right thing so I can get to God through works, if you will. And Jesus keeps saying this the third time. He says, listen, loving me empowers you to obey. Like, you're supposed to obey, we're supposed to obey out of love. You know, we talked, I think, before how when you have kids, I, I hate having to remind them of the chores. I hate it. Did I mention this? I hate it. <laughs> but the other day I came home and the kids had all done their chores. You know, they, they don't have a lot. We're not slave drivers. But we do expect some things out of children. I know that's a novel idea today, but <laughs> we, we expect them to do something. And I came home and they had cleaned this and done it and they'd done all their chores. And I'm like, I can't tell you how happy it made me as a father. And you got to know Father God is the same way with us. Does he want us? Does he want you to obey him because it's the right thing to do? Okay, that's like level one relationship. Level fifteen is, hey, I'm going to do this thing because I love you so much. You know, I was I was working with a guy back a few years ago that was struggling with pornography, and uh, I know it's a huge thing nowadays, and you know it's just it's huge, but. He was really struggling, and there's a lot of different organizations and things that will try to help men be holy and pure. Okay, and they're good. And they they focus on, you know, having accountability partners, and they focus on having, you know, relationships and asking hard questions, which I think is all good. But at the end of the day, I remember this guy struggling, and no matter what kind of program we had set up for him, he, he would always eventually fail again. He would, he would go backwards. Until one day, I think, God really gave me an insight and revelation into this. And it was, it's intimacy. You see, the more I want and love Jesus, the less I want the other stuff. You know, there's that whole, he must increase and I must decrease, that John the Baptist said. And he was speaking kind of in a different context. But I think that the same words are true, aren't they? The more I'm in love with Jesus the less I want to do anything that isn't of him. You're driving me? And I know it sounds so simple, but how many of you have found sometimes the simple answers are the best answers? Mm -hmm. Right? Simplicity. And I just want to encourage you with that, because actually, this whole beyond the veil business and tearing the... the that You know what that is? That's a call to intimacy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That there's nothing limiting you. Jesus, our high priest, is on the other side in Hebrews chapter 6, and he's calling to us to come into this place with him. I want you to, if you can, go to Ephesians chapter 3. And I, I'm in the NIV, so we can read it. Uh, we can read it different, but actually have it up here if you need it. 
He says, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And uh, it's interesting. Of all the letters Paul's write, Paul writes, Ephesians is the only one that isn't really about correcting them. He doesn't, I don't think there's a correction in the whole book of Ephesians. But Ephesians is about, hey, you are seated in the heavenly realms. Hey, you are this in Christ. Hey, and just kind of an encouragement and, and almost like, you know, <laughs> holding the carrot out in front of the horse or something. You know, like it almost is this, whoa, this is what I can be. Listen to what he says to the Ephesians. This is his prayer. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now he's talking to Christians. Is Christ already dwelling in their hearts through faith? Yeah, chances are real good. They've already made that initial commitment. But again, level one to like level 15, there's a big gap there. And so he's writing to Christians and he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I think he's actually addressing, okay, it's time to get off the ground level and move up, right? And then he says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, everybody say grasp, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Again, he's talking to Christians and just because you have made a decision to follow Christ doesn't mean you get how deep God's love is. Like, there is a journey to be had. That old book I'm reading from the 1600s, uh, 16 whatever, is uh, The Pilgrim's Progress. I love that book. I do too. I'm just reading it. And it's got the these and thous and the whatever. It's got all the weird. But the, but the basic story is, here is this pilgrim wanting to get rid of the pack on his back and he, he wants more and he literally puts aside his family and friends and he gets detoured a couple times but what is it the whole thing is I'm going after I'm going after God <laughs> right and it's so super cool because it tells us look just because you're on the journey and you started on the path doesn't mean you've reached the destination and again please understand I am not talking about works for grace. I'm not talking about earning God's favor. What I am talking about is once you're a believer, the Ephesians, there is a place in God that is beyond us. Think about this for a second. When and when we get to heaven, however that happens, <laughs> or rapture or second coming or whatever it is, when you're with Jesus for all of eternity, the Bible says we will be. We will take all of eternity getting to know him better. So sometimes in our human uh, arrogance, if you will, or laziness or whatever it is, there's so many Christians I know, and I know at different times I've been tempted this way as well, just to kind of sit and relax. You know, well, oh, that's, that's enough of God in my life. I don't really need that. Somebody once told me our relationship with God is kind of like pedaling a bike up a hill. We're not earning his favor and stuff, but pedaling a bike up a hill. Have you ever found when you pedal a bike up a hill, you go places? Have you ever stopped pedaling on a, on a hill? If I stop pedaling on a hill, what happens to the bike? Mm-hmm. It kind of slows down. And then what happens? 
it'll start to go backwards, and pretty soon then you have a problem on your hands. Right? See, I think the same is our relationship with God. He's like, hey, you know what? There's more. There's more. There's more. And Paul here is saying, look, I want to pray for you guys that you can start to grasp. And grasp means it's tangible. So how many of you found in your walk with Christ that there are times and seasons in your life where it's it's real beyond real beyond real? Like you have grasped something, a truth or intimacy or whatever. And Jesus is saying this here. He says, listen, back to John 14. My Father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make you our dwelling place. Mind-blowing for these guys. Then it goes on. We'll pick up the story of John 14, 24. But those who don't love me will not obey my words. It just kind of makes sense, right? You don't know Jesus or give a rip, well, why would you obey what he says? I think that's why you can't legislate righteousness. You know, in our world today, a lot of people... On the, especially on the far left, they try to legislate. You have to treat me this way. You have to get rid of racism. You have to uh, act uh, and say just the right words. Well, how many of you know that it's never going to work? You can't make me in my heart believe different just because you think I, sh- I should. Do you know what I'm saying? And it goes all the way. I'm not talking politics, really. I'm talking human nature. Jesus said this great phrase. He said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many of you found this to be true? <laughs> What's in me comes out of me eventually. I can make it behave for a while, but really I'm not going to, who I am comes out. And Jesus is saying, look, we're going to come make our home in you. How many of you know if we let Christ and the Father become the dwelling place in us? There's no room for a lot of the garbage that, you know, garbage will actually get pushed out. Pornography gets pushed out. All these other desires and faulty ways of thinking get pushed out. Amen? And so, I love this. But again, people that don't know him can't obey him. But he says, moving on, he says, The Father did not send me to speak my own revelation, but the words of my Father. I want to tell you this morning, just like the disciples for us, this is God the Father in His heart speaking to us right now. Right? You, you don't have to doubt it. You can do it. Here's my thing. Test it. You don't believe me that these words are true and Ephesians prayer from Paul is true? Just sit down for an hour a day and say, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know your love. Show me some things. You want to go on a love journey? All my stars. Go to Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. And don't, I, I think, we talked about this, I think, before, but uh, many humans over history have been in error when they, when they read Song of Solomon as a love poem between a husband and wife. It can be that, and it's good, but I do not believe that is the primary reason that that book was written. Read it like Jesus the bridegroom and we're the bride. It makes way more sense. Like I told you, it's the Passion Translation, our, our guy, that, that was the first book he translated. Because it's so important that we understand 
how, how much we're loved as the bride by the bridegroom. You want to go on a love journey? I can only read a few verses at a time because it blows my mind. You know what it says? It says things like, Jesus to me, you ravish my heart. Not me to him, right? From him to me. He says that to me. I ravish his heart. I, and it says several times, I make Jesus undone. How do you undone God? <laughs> you know what I mean? How do you undone, how do I ravish Jesus? You don't know how? Because that's what he thinks about us. What does John 3.16 say? For God, so, so. <laughs> I love that word, so. I always drag it out with a bunch of O's. So loved. God so loved the world that he did. You know what? He doesn't see us as filthy, rotten sinners. He sees us as the bridegroom. I told you this ad nauseum, but again, I'm reminded. I hate it when people say, Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Oh, no. You were a sinner who got saved by grace. You're now, according to almost all the books and the letters in the New Testament, you are a saint. You are a holy one. You are a called out one. You are the bride. You are beautiful. You undone God. You ravage his heart. We need to get a grip of that, don't we? Because if I feel like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, are you more or less likely to fall back into the sin before grace? Absolutely, man. I, and this is my own life speaking. I, this was me. I, but until I really started to fall in love with Jesus, I, I, I didn't get it. But I mean, you know, Jesus is kind of laying out the roadmap for the journey for these disciples. He's saying, look, I didn't come with these words. The Father sent them. And he's telling you right now. Yeah, that father behind the veil that we're going to rip in a, in a couple days, <laughs> that's the one. You get to have that intimacy with him. Yeah? Super cool. Anyway, verse 25, let's move on a bit. So he says, I'm telling you this while I'm still with you. What do you call it when somebody tells you something before it happens? Prophecy. You know, Jesus is a prophet. He's not just a, a good man. He's, not, you know, he's also a prophet. Don't you love that he knows the future? I love that. He says, I'm telling you this right now while I'm with you, so that in a couple days when it starts to happen, and in a, few, in a month past that when the Holy Spirit comes, well, actually not even a month, in just a couple weeks, you're going to remember these words. Right? And one of the words you're going to remember is verse 26. He says, but when the Father sends the Spirit of holiness, the one like me who sets you free. Anybody say Amen. Amen. <laughs> Uh, you may be today in this room or online, you may be feel like you're bound, really trapped. You know that Jesus, when he first started his ministry, he stood up in the synagogue that day and he quotes the prophet and he says, I have come to bring sight to the blind and set the prisoners free to break chains and all this stuff. You know, that is why he came. He came to break chains. He came to set, set us free. And I'm telling you, the only thing limiting you from getting free is you. Yeah. You have as much of God as you want to be. How many of you think the more Jesus you have in your life, the less change you're going you're gonna to have? Right? 
And he says, listen, but when the Father sends the Spirit of holiness, we'll talk about that another time, but you know God is holy and he wants us to be holy. Amen? The one like me who sets you free, he will teach you all things in my name, and he will inspire you to remember every word that I told you. Every word that I told you. This week I was I was uh, doing my, my life and doing all my stuff. And, and uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. When you open up the Word and you're open to the Word, how much more of the Word God brings to your mind. Don't you love it when you're living your life and all of a sudden a verse just kind of pops into your head? That is the Holy Spirit. He's reminding you of some things. You know, all these different names of the Holy Spirit is, you know, counselor, guide, helper, advocate, all these things. I think one of them is the great reminder. <laughs> He's the great reminder. I really believe that he wants to remind us of a couple things. One, who we are. And number number two, how he wants to help us on our journey. Who we are, and then helping us as we move forward. Really good. And that's interesting the verbiage here he says, Well teach and inspire. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would even begin to do that right now, that you would begin to quicken our hearts and minds. We are like confuddled pilgrims sometimes, like the <laughs> pilgrim's progress. We don't always get where you're going or what you're doing, we stumble and turn to the side once in a while. Oh, there you are with that clarion call of saying, come, come unto me, come unto me, come unto me. Lord, you said, you promised, because we have Holy Spirit right now, he's going to teach us all things, and he's going to inspire us to remember every word that you said. Every word. So we release your Holy Spirit to do that even today. Amen. You thankful for that? Amen. Amen. So now we get to something a little... Uh, Interesting how Jesus is teaching, and he, it's, it looks like he just shifts gears and goes another direction and back. Uh, but you'll see, it's not really that, but it's, it's, a, it's a continuation and an added bonus, if you will, to him. So, uh, Mike, would you mind reading verse, uh, uh, let's just do 27, just that one verse. I leave the gift of peace with you. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Okay, now that's good. So it's interesting, isn't it? What, how, is, how does he describe peace here? What, what, what does he use? How does he describe it? And I'm this simple. Just the one word. I leave you the, the gift of peace. If I hand you a gift right now, uh, you have a choice, don't you? What are your two choices? Right. <laughs> it's a gift of peace. <laughs> he says, I leave the gift of peace. Have you ever known people, we were just talking about, you were mentioning the riots and all the chaos and all the anger and everything going on in our world. How many of you ever look at the news and watch all this stuff and you go, there's that. There's no peace there. 
There is no peace. That is the absence of peace. It's the antithesis of peace, really. Even if they accomplish what they set out to do. Right. Think about animosity and anger. It is a beast that is never satisfied. You found this to be true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, I forget where I, I heard this back up several years, but the guy was talking about we have two like natures, if you will, in our heart. One is the old nature and one is the new. And he asked this question. He said they're like, they're like beasts. They're like animals within us. And, with, and whichever one I feed grows. <clears throat> have you found this to be true? I know someone in my life right now that is incredibly angry. And the more they exhibit anger and feed the anger, what do you think happens to it? You get angrier. It just gets worse. The monster, if you will, gets bigger and bigger. And the more, you know, again, if you have a monster of pride, the less humble you are and the more pride you are, what happens to that monster? You get bigger, your pride, you know. Uh, if you have a problem with alcohol or drugs or whatever, whatever your feed, this is back up, whatever I feed grows. And so I think that the call of Jesus right here to the disciples is, look, Feed on my peace. Feed on me, and I'll give you the gift of peace. I told you this before, I think, but I love altar times, you know, from my life. And uh, times like we used to have Sunday night services and stuff where we would just worship and have some teaching, but then we just spend time in the presence of God. We even felt it today during worship. I don't know if you guys felt that too, but there was so much peace in this room. It was like, oh, you know. And there's a part of me, I know we have to move on to other things and stuff, you know, different, you know, Facebook, you were waiting for us. And, but there's this little part of me that's like, there's a big part of me actually where I'm just like, I just want to stay right here. I don't want to go somewhere. I don't want to have to be and do it all. I just want to, a gift of peace. And isn't it interesting, we're going to be coming up on Christmas here pretty soon. And what is, you know, the Isaiah passage that he's the everlasting father, the Prince of Peace. You know why he has the capacity to give us the gift of peace? Because he is peace. And that's really important because it's not just that Jesus has an attribute of peace. He is peace. You know, it's that phrase we say sometimes, you can't give what you don't have. You know, I've wondered about that with people. I have so much Jesus in me, I have to, I have to let it out, you know. Peace is the same way. And it's interesting. We do get to give and take peace ourselves. Do you know that peace, I'm learning some things. Wisdom is a, is a separate entity almost unto itself. Read Proverbs. I encourage you to do this. And you'll see wisdom as like a whole thing. It's almost a person, if you will, of wisdom. And I think that person is Jesus Christ. But peace is kind of the same way. Like peace is a, tangible thing. You can't really touch it. But I don't even know when peace comes in a room. There's peace. I walked down the stairs today in my house and there was some conflict going on. And and I stepped right into it. And all of a sudden I'm agitated and all this stuff. And I, I remember thinking later on, even, even now, I'm thinking, you know, I didn't bring peace to that situation. I let the conflict and the chaos kind of, if you will, 
Because mm-hmm. here's the thing. Peace and conflict cannot coexist. One has to be in charge. One has to be. And so when I have the gift of peace, look at Matthew 10, if you would. If you want to go there, or I think we've got it here on the screen. Matthew chapter 10. It's the part where Jesus is taking the 12, and he says, listen, who I am, I give to you. Now go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out lepers. Freely you have received, now freely give. Right? Matthew chapter 10. It's the first kind of commission, if you will. So Matthew 10 is talking about this. And as a part of that discourse, Jesus says to them, he goes on and he says, now as you go to these different places, and as you heal the sick, as you cast out demons and do all this stuff, blind eyes and lepers and etc. He says, verse, uh, verse Matthew 10, 12. He says, once you enter a house, speak to the family there and say, God's blessing of peace be upon this home. And if those living there welcome you, let your peace, everybody say your peace. Your peace. Or in this case, my peace. Right? Let your peace come upon the house. But if you are rejected, that blessing of peace will come back upon you. Okay? Will come back upon you. Peace is this tangible thing we get to give. <laughs> you know, it's funny at Christmas, isn't it? You ever been to one of those uh, gift exchange things where it's like funny gifts and all that kind of stuff? Let's be honest. How many of you raise your hand and say you've re-gifted something you got at Christmas? <laughs> Actually love to re-gift. Just make sure you don't give it back to the person that gave it to you two years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> but... Like, it, peace is this re-gift we get to do. Like, we get to actually take the peace and give it. And when we walk in a house, when we walk in a door, we actually get to say, hey, peace. You want to do a great word study? Study the Jewish word, or the Hebrew word, shalom. Because technically, shalom means peace. Like, that's the... But, as with many things, the English language is very limited. Do you know that the shalom word... Peace actually has like 10 different words that it actually means. Favor, blessing, you know, health, wholeness, peace being one of them. When you bring peace to a situation, we, we say often in our home, I picked up this teaching some ways back, but every single day we carry two buckets in our hand. You heard me talk about this? I carry two buckets in my hand in every situation I go. And I either get, one is water and the other is gas. And if there's a fire of conflict going on, I can bring and throw gas on it, and the thing gets worse. Or I can take conflict and a lack of peace, and I can take my bucket of water and throw that on Have you ever done that, where you walk into a situation and, and, uh, and you bring peace to it? <coughs> you know, it just calms everybody down and it is a literal, tangible thing, I believe. The gift of peace. And Jesus actually releases them to this. He says, boys, listen, when you go in a house, bless it with peace. If they reject you, take it back. <laughs> and then it's interesting because it goes on. Uh, the next verse in that Matthew passage, verse 14, it says, And if anyone doesn't listen to you and rejects your message, when you leave that house or town, shake the dust off your feet as a prophetic act that you will not take their defilement with you. <laughs> I've been in the ministry a while and there are many times throughout my life where 
I literally will walk away from an engagement with someone or a conversation or a thing, and I will literally have to just go, get that junk off me. Get that unforgiveness off me. Get that, you know, whatever it is, rebellion or whatever, apathy or whatever. Folks, I'm telling us, we're actually responsible for our own stuff. I don't want that conflict. I don't have to take it. You know one of the worst words anybody can ever say? And I've heard this a lot. That person made me angry. You ever say that? Yeah. Oh, that person made me angry. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They can't make you do anything. You know what that person did? They gave you the opportunity to be angry. They gave you the opportunity to throw gas on something. I really feel like there's something to this. And I'm not saying that, uh, that uh, she's a prophet. But that song, Shake It Off by, uh, what is it? Yeah, Taylor Swift. That song, Shake It Off, should be a hymn of the church. Like, <laughs> Shake it off, baby. Shake it off. Do not let that stuff... And how many of you know... Unforgiveness, anger, resentment is sticky. It is so sticky. It is so sticky. And it will cling to you if you let it. And I would just encourage you today, if you have a if you have an issue with someone or maybe a family member or I would just challenge you today. Shake it off. Do like what Jesus says. Look, you know what? You get a choice. You can either go with you as you leave that, that conversation or that thing. Or uh, you should just shake it up. Now, the other thing I would say is this. This is going to sound almost wrong somehow, but do you know that you don't have to stay in relationship with someone who constantly brings that to the table? It's okay to let people go. Bless them as they go. Isn't that interesting in this conversation? He says, if you go into a house and they reject you, don't stay. <laughs> Don't let that defilement get on you. He calls it defilement in some of the different passages, right? Look at the end of that. He says, as a prophetic act, shake the dust off your feet and that you will not take their defilement with you. I'm not saying you got to unfriend them on Facebook. Just stop following them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just get, get, get a distance between you and them. Now, here's the thing. Some people misinterpret love for enablement. I'll just let that one hang out there for a while. <laughs> the gift of peace. He says, listen, Jesus says, I leave you the gift of peace. Almost as if he's saying, now you, you do what you will with it. You want peace in your life? you got to do some things. But he says this, my peace is different than any other kind of peace you want to find. Right? He says, my peace I give you. And then he goes on to describe, what does he say? Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world. Just stay here for a second. But sometimes people define, even in Christian circles, peace as a lack of conflict. In other words, if two people aren't arguing or fighting, that means it's peace. And we found that's not really true. Right? It's not just because people aren't fighting or active in it, doesn't mean it's still not there. You know? And I think, I believe God would have us as we get into this beyond the veil intimacy thing we're talking about. It's kind of a redefinition of peace and what it means in our lives. Right? 
I now, you and I now have the capacity to walk into any situation and not let the defilement of it get on us, but, in, but we get to bring peace to the situation. Not like the world. And then, apparently, all this peace stuff is scary. Because Jesus then goes on and says, don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Now, I know he's talking about him leaving and all this kind of stuff, but he hasn't really been talking about that for a few sentences. What's he been talking about? The Holy Spirit coming? He's going to lead you and guide you? He's going to give you a, He's going to give you information on how to mute your phones? And all kinds of cool things. That's good. <laughs> right? But here's the thing. How many of you know being led by the Spirit is a little scary sometimes? Because we're not always on the same page with the Holy Spirit. And when He's leading us places, it's usually distraction to grow us. I want to challenge us today. I believe that God is wanting us to bring peace to a world filled with chaos. And we're not called to do it like other parts of the world and other people in our country. I guess that's going to be really important over the next few weeks, isn't it? Oh, yeah. There's going to be a lot of more chaos. The enemy's going to really push as we come, especially towards the election. And then after the election, who knows what's going to happen and all that lawyers and all that stuff. But I feel like God just help us bring peace to stuff. If you're tempted to put inflammatory things on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, we should hold back. Ask Holy Spirit, what would you have me do? Am I bringing peace or am I being, bringing conflict? In our house, we call it C or P. C or P. Conflict or peace. You get to choose. Am I bringing C or am I bringing peace? Am I putting water or gas on this thing? He says, but listen, you don't have to be afraid. I'll lead you in good places, Holy Spirit, and the peace thing. He says, don't be afraid or troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. There's a couple of verses that probably sound familiar if you've been around church at all. When Joshua was taken over from Moses as they're going into the promised land, Moses is talking to Joshua after this long 40-plus year journey. And he says, listen, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. Everybody say, with you. This is that interesting because Jesus has been saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you. We'll talk about it here more in a second. Holy Spirit is going to be with you. This is so prophetic. This is way before, you know, day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit stuff. But he says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Right? Deuteronomy 31.8. Then Joshua 1.9, he also says, again, same, same dialogue. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I would encourage you with a couple of things. I know some of you take good notes and some of you online take notes, but these are a couple of verses that can help us. Because even before Jesus and even before the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God was telling his people, listen, I'm not going to leave you. In fact, I'm out in front of you. I'm going to go before you. And Jesus is kind of saying the same thing to, the, to his boys, to his his posse here, you know, like, he's saying, listen, guys, I'm going to go, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit, 
and I'm going to give you this gift of peace. I'm going to give you the tools and the things you need to be successful. Don't yield to fear. Just jump back, if you will, one page or so in your Bible. 14.1, Jesus, when he starts this whole thing, after some teaching and telling Peter that he's actually going to deny him three times that night, you know, freaking Peter out a little bit. The next words out of Jesus' mouth are these same words. Don't worry or surrender to your fear. That's interesting, isn't it? Because fear is a real thing. And I would propose this morning, fear is stalking you. It is. Jesus says, the New Testament says that the devil is like a a roaring lion seeking whom he may desire to devour, right? The, I believe fear is stalking you and he's stalking our country right now. Just turn on the news, man. You, we talked about this. You turn on the news, it is just fear upon fear upon fear. COVID, the election, this thing, and on, on and on it goes. Fear is stalking us and stalking our country. And it's knocking at the door and trying to bust it in. What's the antidote? What is Jesus proposing here? Perfect love casts out fear, right? Mm-hmm. Look at, I mean, it couldn't be more plain what he's doing. He's laying out this total template for power, miracles, Holy Spirit baptism, uh, love and obedience, uh, you know, all this stuff. And he says, listen, you get to choose, though. You even know some Christians right now that are consumed by fear. Oh yeah, they're so worried about this election. They're so worried about you know the racism and the stuff in the streets. And it's almost as if we've replaced peace with fear. Like we've accepted the gift, if you will, of fear and chaos, as opposed to the peace of God, which, according to what Philippians, he says, the peace of passes understanding. Wow, we're right there. He says then, let's move on. Verse uh, 28, and we'll take it all the way to the end today. He says, remember what I've told you, that I must go away, but I promise to come back to you. It's the third time he said almost those exact same words, just in chapter 14. It's in verse 3, it's in verse 18, and now it's in verse 28. We're going to pause there for the day. Some good stuff I feel like God wants to show us. We'll have to, we'll finish next week. But the peace of God is fast as understanding. Mm. All right. Well, bless you guys today. So glad that you were with us. Facebook, I uh, encourage you to, uh, to pursue some of these verses we talked about. Have a great week. Be filled with peace and take it everywhere you go. Amen. All right. Before you go, Joe, hang on. I was going to get you money. Can you just, one second. Just, just sit down for a second. Okay. So, one of the things I love for us to do, and I know we're right at the hour, but I think we can just take a couple minutes. I feel like God always wants to ask us, what am I going to take away today? So if we don't take something away, we end up leaving it somewhere. Right? And I want us to do that. So is there something God's speaking to your heart? Maybe somebody has a prophetic word.
or maybe there's something that God is strongly putting on your heart or something you feel like uh, you want to do right before we leave. Anybody have something like that? Yeah? Peace. Go ahead. Just Here it is. Peace. Peace. Here it is. Mm-hmm. What happens next is as you said. Yeah. Absorb it. Yeah. Flow with it. It's like would you like to bite of the most delicious cake you've ever had in your life? Or would you like something piece of fruit that you really love for you? Would you like something that absolutely transforms your life, that gives you a new perspective of everything? Here you go. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, isn't it, when somebody gives you a gift, do you ever just go, oh, that's great, I'll just put that over here. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. more often than not, even us older people, we're like little kids, I want to rip that thing open, find out what's inside. <laughs> I think that's true. It's really super good. Anybody else? Any other... Something God's laying on your heart today? Look at people, not so much from the standpoint, what can they do for you, but what can you do for them? Mm-hmm. Be willing to reach out. Yeah, yeah. Tangible, that's good. That's good. Anybody else? As we go. Stand up. Sometimes you have to be willing to fight for peace. Yeah. You see, might be people who, you know, think it's offered, but you might come and want to snatch it before you're able to grab it. Yeah. And then they're going to defile it. Yeah. You know, that's that's really good. I, I think it goes with the thought I had, my friend. I was just thinking this. It says, not the fragile peace like the world, he says in this passage. And he's talking about kind of man-made peace. right? Mm-hmm. But Holy Spirit and peace are kind of linked together here, aren't they? Yeah. See, Holy Spirit is gentle. Praise God. Have you ever tried to forcibly bring peace to some, a situation. <laughs> I'm going to make you have peace. You know, peace is gone. <laughs> I almost feel like peace is a is a fragile. Remember we talked about Holy Spirit being like a, a dove on our shoulder that we have to kind of be mindful of how we do things. You know? I feel like peace is kind of the same way with that. See, uh, how I bring peace to a situation is almost as important as the decision to bring peace to the situation. Mm-hmm. Because it's fragile. It can it can disappear quick. Have you found this to be true? Even when you try to do the right thing, it still ends up being gross or bad in some way. Do you know what I mean? So I just want to, I feel like that's a challenge to us too. I, uh, I keep saying all these things in our family, but in our family we say this phrase, it's not the what, it's the how. Right? It's not the what. The what is I want to bring peace or joy or whatever to somebody but it's the how I come to the situation. How do I bring peace? And I think maybe that's the challenge for us. Like, Lord, really show me. I almost feel, like this is the picture I see. I see the picture of us coming to a door and I'm about to enter a, a door and go through a house or into a situation, if you will. And I pause and I feel like I'm supposed to ask Holy Spirit, how do you want this to go right now? If you're like me, I tend to just bust in the door and be in a room. You know? And I feel like I feel like there's a possibility here that Holy Spirit would just have us pause 
acknowledge the dove on our shoulder and the peace that's there and say, how, how do you want me to bring peace to this situation? So that's good. That's a good word. Thanks, Josh. Anybody else? I can't remember. I was in a midst of a fairly a discussion on Facebook one time. It was getting rather heated. Um, one of the others on the other side said, "You must just hate me, said, yeah. son. You're simply not worth the effort to hate." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's it too. Just remember, just because you want to bring peace doesn't mean that they're going to receive the gift. Mm-hmm. In fact, oftentimes it's the opposite, and they'll talk bad about you as you. <laughs> As you try to do the, the Bible says when your good is ill spoken of. <laughs> so just be encouraged in that too. You may try to bring peace and do it the right way, and it may still may not help the <laughs> situation, but at least you're being obedient, right? So that's good. So Lord, I bless your people today. I thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, and uh, so much to unpack here today, and so much to take with us. But I ask Lord for the Holy Spirit today, those nuggets of truth and uh, quickening. I mean, how, how awesome is it that just today you said that you're going to inspire us to remember every word that I've, been to, that I've told you. So I, I release you, Holy Spirit, in my life and in our lives to just do that, to be you and quicken our minds and bring to remembrance different thoughts and words and things that have happened today and to bring remembrance even during our worship that there are places of intimacy beyond the veil into those places with you. Let us be those people today, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Awesome. Oh, yeah, Joel. Joel, help you out there. Wasn't it probably has its own version of Permits of Green? I was trying to get through 14. Didn't didn't quite make it. We we ended up... We we were going for the finish. Too much. There is, isn't there?